Today on Moody Presents with Mark Job. Our culture tries to tell us that the right way to believe is that pretty much every way leads to the same place. Christianity has never taught that. Never. The Bible teaches that there's a right way and there's a wrong way. Welcome to Moody Presents with Pastor Mark Job. He's president of Moody Bible Institute and senior pastor of New Life Community Church in Chicago. Our message series here at Moody Presents is titled CSI. I love it. Investigating the claims of Christ. But if we're going to do that, we need to understand what Jesus said about himself. You can't accept Jesus as a good person and then not accept what he said about himself and his claims. For instance, Jesus called himself the good shepherd. Now, what exactly does this statement mean? I don't live near very many sheep. I don't know about you. Now, how do we apply that? How do we apply what we're learning in other passages? You know, for the early Christians, all of this meant persecution because they believed Jesus was the only way to heaven. Well, let's continue to investigate these claims and more as we hear today's message based in John chapter 10. Here's Pastor Mark. Now, I'm going to warn you as I jump into this passage that this passage is going to stir up the hairs on some of the back of your necks. Because Jesus, his message sometimes is somewhat, well, it stirs people up. Down through, down through church history, Jesus was crucified because of what he stood for in his message. The 12 apostles that Jesus personally mentored 11 of the 12 apostles were martyred, crucified upside down, head chopped off, boil in boiling, scolding uh, oil. 11 of the 12 apostles were martyred because the message that they proclaimed was hard for people to hear and people rose up and persecuted Christians. In the early centuries of Christianity, the Romans, when Jesus Jesus came to this earth during the time that the Roman Empire was in full swing. And during the time of the Romans, people believed in many gods. Uh, they, were, uh, they were pluralistic in what they believed. They, uh, they, they believed that there was the goddess of fertility and they believed the goddess of prosperity. There was the god of the sea. There was the god of of, of health, and there was the God of war, the God of victory. They had hundreds of gods that they followed. And they had images for all of those gods. And so if you said, well, I believe in this God, so they would say, great, I believe in this God. And someone else says, I follow this God. And which God will I follow? A, B, and C. Great, I follow A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And so they had all these gods that they followed, and they were okay with each other. But when Christians came on the scene, suddenly they were feeding Christians to lions, burning them, crucifying them. And you ask your question, well, if everybody had so many gods, why were they so against Christians? Let me tell you why. Because when Christians came on the scene, Christians did not say, Christ is one God among many gods. Christians said, Christ is is the only God and the only way to God. Amen. 
In order to be a Roman citizen, you had to pledge your allegiance to Caesar, and Caesar was considered a god. And so to become a Roman citizen, you had to go through a ceremony in which you gave allegiance to Caesar as a god. Christians refused to go through that ceremony because they said, we will bow our knee to no other than the true God. We will not acknowledge Caesar as a God. And so they were considered traitors. Their message also was, we love everybody, but the Bible declares that there's one way to God. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and there's a right way, and there's a wrong way. Now, I'm going to talk to you about a passage here, and I want to talk to you a little bit about that because I believe that we live in a day and age in which universalism is pretty much what a lot of our society believes. Uh, universalism, in essence, says that no matter what religious path you follow, as long as you're sincere, as long as you have faith, we all end up in the same place. So you may be in Africa worshiping a tree. As long as you do that sincerely, then you'll end up in the same place. Or you may be a, a Hindu and follow Hinduism, and uh, it's the same as Christianity, because as long as you're sincere and have faith, we all end up in the same place. You may believe in extraterrestrial beings and think that somehow they're going to bring salvation to the world. As long as you have faith and you're a good person, we'll all end up in the same place. So there's this mentality that it doesn't really matter what you believe. As long as you're sincere and have faith and don't try to hurt anybody, that ultimately our destination is the same. And so our culture tries to tell us that the right way to believe is that pretty much every way leads to the same place. Listen to me well. Christianity has never taught that. Never. The Bible teaches that there's a right way and there's a wrong way. If you were to come out someday, if you were driving down the street and you were to stop and ask me, hey, how do you get to the Sears Tower? I'm just really not sure. I'm not from Chicago. I don't know how to go. I could say, you know, it doesn't really matter which road you take. You can go north. You can go south. You can go east. I think you'll all end up there anyways. You wouldn't be too happy with my direction giving. I can tell you that. Because we all know that not every road leads to the same place. In the religious theological arena, it's the same. There are some paths that lead you down a road of destruction, and there are some paths that lead you to life, and we have to be able to discern between the right way and the wrong way. Now, Jesus is uh, speaking to a group of people, and he has just, last week we saw that he had just healed the blind man uh, with some mud in his eyes, and the Pharisees were so angry that Jesus had done it on the Sabbath and that the people were honoring Jesus for this miracle that they kicked the blind man out of the synagogue, which was the equivalent of the church. They kicked him out of church. And so Jesus gives this little sermonette as a result of that. And I want to begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 10. He says, I tell you the truth. 
The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them all out on his own, he goes ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. People were listening to Jesus. They had a puzzled look like, what are you talking about, Jesus? What are you saying with this? Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. So he continues to explain in verse 7. Therefore, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Now, this whole parable that Jesus is talking about has to do with sheep and sheep pens. Now, most of us here in this auditorium, we didn't grow up around sheep. Anybody own sheep? I have to ask because in our 10 o'clock service in Lincoln Park, I asked that, and to my surprise, a hand went up. It's like, you own sheep? I said, you don't have sheep in your condo, do you, bro? Because I think that's illegal. He said, no, 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 I own it somewhere in Indiana. So most of us here did not grow up around sheep, don't have sheep. Jesus used what was common to the people in those days, but because we live in a big city like Chicago, most of us aren't very familiar with sheep. I have the distinct advantage that when I was younger, I grew up in a little village in northern Spain outside of a city called Burgos in a little town called Rubena. Rubena had 200 people and about 400 sheep. And so as a young boy, my best friend was the son of the shepherd in the town. His name was Jose Luis, and his father's name was Jose. And uh, Jose was the town shepherd. Every morning, he would get up early in the morning, and all of the sheep that had spent the night in their own personal corral, whatever family they belonged to, would be released in the street, and as the shepherd walked by with his dogs, they would gather the sheep from this pen and that pen and that pen. They would walk down the sheep. We always know when they had been there because sheep leave stuff behind. Um, on my way to school, I'd have to jump around the stuff they led behind. But they would all gather, and 400 sheep then would go out to the hills around our village, and they would spend the day out in the hills, eating of the pasture. And then at nighttime, when dusk came, the shepherd would gather his dogs and the sheep would all make their way back into town. I know this because my best friend, the shepherd's son, would always have to go help his father cross the railroad tracks. There were hundreds of sheep and it was kind of a scary thing to get 400 sheep across a railroad track before you entered the town. And uh, we had a couple close calls. I remember the day that I discovered how dumb sheep were. 
You would think that Jesus could have compared us to tigers. <laughs> I have a couple boys. You know, boys like to say, hey, if you were an animal, what animal would you be? They like to act like animals. I've never had a boy that said, I want to be a sheep. <laughs> I've never seen a circus where they highlighted sheep in the circus. I mean, there's the elephant act, the tiger act, the lion act. I've never seen the sheep act, in part because sheep aren't that bright. We hope you're enjoying today's message from Dr. Job. We want to encourage you to be part of the Moody Presents Advanced Team. Head to moodypresents.org. Just type in your name and email address, and we'll send you a link to watch special video devotionals from the land of Israel. Again, head to moodypresents.org. While there, request a copy of a very special book, The Overcoming Life by D.L. Moody. Moody writes, When things go against us, let's cheer up. The night will soon pass away, and the morning will dawn upon us. Death never comes there. Sickness and pain and sorrow don't come there to mar that glorious home where we shall be with the Master. And it may be a great deal nearer than many of us think. For a gift of any amount, we'll send you a copy of The Overcoming Life. Just go to moodypresents.org and click on the blue button. Or call us at 800-400-7022. All right, back to Mark Job's message, I Am the Good Shepherd. The day I realized how dumb sheep were, it was one evening I was down with my friend and the sheep were crossing the railroad track as fast as they could. And then in the distance, we saw a train coming. The shepherd was panicked at that time and he said, hurry them up. And so Jose Luis and I were trying to get the sheep across and we were making noises. The dogs were at it and the sheep were coming. The train was coming. I mean, it was looking pretty scary. There happened to be one sheep that was sort of way in the back that was a little bit lame, crippled a little bit, limping. And so we got all the sheep across the railroad track just in time, but my friend was holding on to one of the sheep, the sheep that was lame because he wasn't going to make it. So everybody got across but one sheep. And so we were like, high five, great, whoa, that was close. And my friend was holding on to the sheep. The train was passing by, so he let go of the sheep. And this sheep, seriously, I saw it. I'm a personal eyewitness of it. The sheep kept walking. <laughs> we're like, stop, don't you see? There's a train, fast motion, it's making noise. It kept walking, seriously, and then committed suicide. <laughs> Literally, I'll spare you the bloody, gory details, but it was bloody. This sheep just stuck its head in the train. Now. I thought, that, that's the day I realized how dumb sheep were. It's like, how dumb can you be? I mean, don't you see it coming? So, when Jesus refers to us as the sheep, <laughs> and him as the shepherd, there's a bit of a subliminal message to all that. That oftentimes, we are prone to wander astray, that oftentimes we make bad choices, that oftentimes we need to be guided because we're misguided, that oftentimes we're not the brightest in the world when it comes to spiritual decisions. Nonetheless, every time Jesus talks about 
being a shepherd, he talks about being a shepherd with incredible love and compassion for the sheep. And so the first thing I see in this passage is that the shepherd calls us to follow him and we respond. There's four things I see about the shepherd in this. He calls us to follow him. Notice it says that there's a lot of thieves and robbers or impostors that have come before. Jesus says if they climb over the wall, you know that they're not the legitimate shepherd because the legitimate shepherd enters through the gate. What gate is he talking about? He's talking about the gate that was opened, the gate of prophecy. Hundreds of prophecies were told about Jesus that he would come. The Father opened up the door. Jesus walked through the gate that had been laid ahead of him, and there's others that have come claiming to be the Christ, false religions, others that have come trying to get a hold of the sheep, trying to lead them astray, but the true shepherd enters in through the gate. He says, the man who enters into the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and I love this, listen, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. I want you to understand that you are not part of the flock of God simply because you were born into a Christian family. You don't belong to the flock of God just because you go to church. You're not a part of being a follower of Jesus just because you own a Bible or because you went to Sunday school when you were young or because you attended Awanas when you were in junior high or because you went to a neighborhood youth group when you were in your teenage years. You don't become a part of the family of God or the flock of God, part of the followers of God, because something was done to you. You were christened when you were a baby. You see, all those things are, are good. Not, none of those things are necessarily bad, but here's the thing. None of those things make you a part of the, of the, of the flock of God. There's only one way that you actually become a part of the flock of God, and that is when you hear his voice and he calls you unto himself. And when he calls you unto himself, you respond to his voice as he's calling you to follow him. And as he calls you to follow him, you hear his voice, you respond to his voice, and you start following him. You see, you do not become a Christian through your parents' merit. Uh, you can tell me, well, pastor, my parents really believed in God and I was born into a Christian home. And, I can, and, and that's good. I'm glad you were. But hello, you're not a Christian because your parents were Christians. It's not a hereditary thing. It's not a location thing. You don't become a bodybuilder just because you walk into a gym. But Jesus said that the followers hear his voice and they respond to him. The only way that you can become a follower of Jesus Christ is when you hear the voice of God calling you to follow him. It can happen through a message. It can happen however it may be. The second thing that we find from this passage in verse 4 is not only he calls us to follow him and we respond, but he makes his voice known to us and we listen. Look what it says at verse four. 
When he has brought us out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him, listen, because they know his voice, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. The second thing that Jesus says is not only does he call us and we respond to him, but that when he speaks to us, we begin to recognize his voice and we follow his voice. You know, once in a while, I do one of the favorite things that my wife loves to do. I go shopping with her. <laughs> it's a real act of love on my part. But I know she likes to go, to go there and likes me to go with her, and so I drive her there, drop her off, and I'll wander around and say, okay, honey, we ready to go now? No, no, just a little more time. So I'll wander around, and it's, my, it's her love language. Uh, she's a great deal shopper, too. I mean, she can negotiate and get great deals. I always remind her, hon, you know, people go broke on good deals, too. You know that. So. But the other day we were out, and I couldn't find her. I, I, dropped, the, I dropped her off, then went in a l- little bit later, and I couldn't find her. So I texted her. I said, where are you? She said, well, I'm over here in the store. And I said, so am I. But I couldn't find her. So... Here we are in a store, and I just say, hey, D. I think some people thought, who's this loony guy talking to himself? And out of somewhere in the store, I hear, I'm over here. I said, well, I'm over here. Where's over here for you? And so we're going back and forth, and because she's talking, you see, I know her voice. I know her voice because I know her, because I love her. I love her voice. She's my wife. I love the sound of it. I know her voice because I know her, because we're intimate. We've been together for 25 years because we, yeah, I I mean, I know her and she knows my voice. So there could be a crowd of people talking, but when I hear her voice, I can distinguish it from other voices because I know her. Now, if you tell me, if you put me in front of a computer and you say, well, diagram the graphics of the intonations of her voice, I have no idea how to do that. I can't do a voice analysis. I I can't describe to you exactly how it looks on a chart, but when she speaks, I know it's her. It's the same with God. When God speaks and we know him, then we know he's speaking to us and we understand his voice and it's clear to us because we've walked with him, because we've heard him, because we've talked with him. Now, if I didn't know her voice, you know, someone could respond, some stranger could respond and say, I'm over here. And I could be following and honey, where are you over here? And I show up and there's some, some big burly guy with a big beard saying, come here, honey. I, you know, that would be a scary thing. You could be led astray if you don't know someone's voice. But because I know her voice, we, we're drawn together. It's the same way with God. 
As you get to know God and as you get to love God, if you are called of God and you are one of his and you've responded to his call, then you begin to recognize his voice and know his voice. And when he speaks to you, you know it's God. And when you're in a place and someone says, well, describe exactly how the voice of God sounds. And you say, well, I don't know how to tell you. Well, how do you know? I don't know what to say. I just know. He makes his voice known to us and we listen. Thirdly, he leads us to life to the fullest and we embrace it. It is so important to follow the voice of Jesus. And just like sheep, you and I need a shepherd. We do. Thank you, Pastor Mark. I'm sure you noticed, by the way, that we had to stop right in the middle of a couple of really important points. So let me make two quick suggestions if I could. First, Join us again next week to pick up uh, this series, part two of today's message, and be sure to go back and listen to this message you just heard at moodypresents.org, where we encourage you to be part of our Moody Presents advanced team. You know, many of us would love to travel to Israel, but we'll never get there. Yet when you sign up to be part of our Moody Presents advanced team, we'll send you a link to some devotionals that were shot and edited in Israel. Great scenes that will bring the Bible to life. It's our thank you as you're part of our Moody Presents advanced team. Go to moodypresents.org. And when you're there, request a copy of a very special book called The Overcoming Life by D.L. Moody. Moody writes, the reason that many a man has no power is that there is some cursed sin covered up. There will not be a drop of dew until that sin is brought to light. Get right inside, and then we can go out like giants and conquer the world. We'd love to send you a copy of The Overcoming Life. Call us at 800-400-7022 or online at moodypresents.org. Click the blue button. I'm John Geiger, and our time is gone, but I want to thank you for being a part of Moody Presents, a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Moody Presents.